Hey everybody, we're here with Divine Purpose Podcast. This is Eddie Dacius. We have a great guest. Uh, we have a CEO today, uh, Adam Coffey. And so one thing we always do, so on our podcast, we always have the guests to introduce themselves, but we're going to do it today too. Army veteran, engineer, pilot, spent 20, 21 years as a CEO of three national companies selling best-selling book 15 years guest speaker at the top business school those are my words but i think we're gonna have adam tell us more about him before we do let's um shout out to our sponsor we have it call if you want to look great and look um lose some weight and i know the summer is coming so let's go with it call they will definitely help you get better now is the time to hop into the hottest 45-minute group fitness class around. Give us a try absolutely free with our free three-day pass. Get a great workout and have fun at the same time. Whether an athlete or someone looking to shed a few pounds, hit core workouts, keep you motivated, and part of an awesome community all in under 45 minutes. See you at the gym. Call them if you look, if you're trying to look um, to lose weight, and if you want to look great for the summer, or you look great for yourself because that's gonna be great for you. So we have another sponsor, that's his facility management. If you're looking for facility management, you should call 617-237-0106. That's his facility management. Do you want to maximize the value of your commercial property and achieve optimal productivity and efficiency in your day-to-day business operations? That's where Dacius Facilities Management can help. DFM offers Boston area businesses help in key areas like building and preventive maintenance, handyman services, project and vendor management, and even security consulting at competitive rates. Call Dacius Facilities Management now at 617-237-0106 or visit DaciusFM.com today. Like promised, we have Adams today. Adam with us today. Adam, how are you today? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. Hello to all your listeners out there. I'm pumped, man. I, I, after watching your commercials here, it's like I'm ready to go to the gym. You know, I'm a guy who lost 30 pounds <laughs> over the last about six months. So I'm very much tuned into that message. And, and hey, who doesn't need good facilities management? So, hey, everybody out there, how you doing? Good to be here. All right, like like promised. So we have a famous question. Famous question for us to start the show is, what can you tell us about you today? What can I tell you about me? Boy, I, I have, uh, I've done it all. I, I started my career right out of high school as a private in the United States Army. I looked up, I saw bubble gum on the bottom of somebody else's shoe. That's how low I started. And then from the military, which taught me something about discipline, teamwork, and leadership, uh, I, I then went on to a career in engineering. Engineering made me a meticulous planner. Uh, that led me to General Electric, uh, GE, back in the, I call it the Camelot era, back when Jack Welsh was was at the helm. Uh, GE is the world's most admired company. Tech hasn't started yet. Every two and a half years, the world's largest company, stock is doubling. You know, it was a great magical time to learn how to run a business. And then I spent 21 years as a CEO, 
and uh, built three big national companies. I, I bought 58 companies, uh, and putting them together, billions of dollars in exits. Wow. Loved, loved teaching, didn't make any money. You know, was making a lot of money as a CEO, but you know, I really wanted to kind of try to switch my life around. And so about 18 months ago, I actually left the CEO world and I said, I, I've hung up my cleats. Not going to be a CEO anymore. I'm going to help multiple companies at a time. Started a consulting business, and I'm now working with 60 different companies and and having fun. So thank you for all the wisdom that I've gained over the years and uh, all the many blessings. But now I'm, I'm, I'm working with entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm helping them build their empires. I'm helping them monetize them and exit and sell them. And uh, and having a lot of fun. Uh, and great to hear because those are the things we excited to to hear from our guests. So let, let's go on your favorite childhood memory. We're gonna go on you going up. I know you just mentioned uh, how you started, but can you share with us um, your favorite childhood memory? How was your household dynamic? You, you know, I, I I grew up in a, a neighborhood with thousands of kids, it seemed like. So old Irish Roman Catholic family. We had six kids in, in our family. We were, we were like the Brady Bunch. I was Bobby, so youngest boy. And, <laughs> and I had four first cousins that lived with us too. Their, their parents had passed away, unfortunately. So there were 10 kids in my neighborhood or in my house, but we weren't the largest you know, family on, on the block, boy, there was a, a, a family next door that wow. had 14 kids. So you're talking about a time in life when there's, there's no internet, there's no video games yet. There's like wow. five channels on TV. So everybody would get up in the morning in, in, in summer and be like, let's go play sports, you know? And so we, we it's just like you, you had like all these kids and, you know, we would get fed by different families. And it's like, you would see mom and dad and, and, you know, like if you're lucky, like once a day before bed. And so I, I tell people I was raised by the neighborhood. This was, mm. a, was a neighborhood, you know, dynamic back in the, the late sixties through mid seventies where, you know, everybody on the block served in world war two or, or in Korea, you know, a bunch of American flags up the flagpoles, just kind of a magical time. I lived in a suburb of Detroit and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a, a great place to grow up and, uh, and, and, and to kind of, you know, l- learn about life and, uh, raised by the neighborhood. So I, I think my most fondest memories, but even then I had a real strong work ethic. I mean, as a kid, my first real job, I had a paper route when I was 12 years old, you know, yeah. back, couldn't do that today, but back then 12 year old kids on their bikes delivered the papers. papers. In the right. And so, and I would rake leaves in the fall, I'd shovel snow in the winter and, and cut grass in the summer. So like I was an enterprising young person and, you know, had started developing my work, my work ethic and business, business ethic back then. So it was, it, that's kind of my, my, my favorite childhood memories, just growing up in uh, in a nice little suburban Detroit neighborhood with uh, a bunch of other kids. And, you know, it was a, a kind of a magical time. Leave it to beaver time, call it. <laughs> so let's hear this from you. What was your dream job in high school, college, you know, and 
And now, because the reason we like to ask this question is to kind of allow our guests to you know go back to their past and then looking at things all like all you were, and then all things change, or life take you to different direction opportunities. Yeah, that that's a great question. So I, I grew up a jock. You know, my primary sport was hockey. I lived in the Detroit metro area. Mm. Uh, a lot of the Red Wing players lived in my my neighborhood, and so I, I, I grew up playing hockey with a lot of professional hockey players. Kids, you know, the house lived close by. You know, and uh, uh, a guy named Terry Harper. There's a famous goalie named Eddie Jockin. And, and later in his career, after he was done with the Rangers, I did a stint in Detroit. And he was kind of my goalie coach. I was a goalie as a little kid growing up. So, it, you know, in my life, it, it's, it's really funny. But I was a pitcher in baseball, point guard in basketball, goalie in hockey. The only sport I didn't play was football. I was a midfielder in soccer. It was the first soccer Oh, my God. I came out. So I was a sports nut. And I, I always wished and thought, I want to see my name on the back of a Red Wing jersey. So here's what's funny. A Hall of Fame hockey player named Paul Coffey. Uh, he, he later in his career, after the Edmonton Oilers and winning a bunch of Stanley Cups with Wayne Gretzky, he rolls through Detroit. Sure enough, there's my name on the back of a red <laughs> And I looked up and I was like, well, thank you, Lord, but that's not exactly what I had in mind. So I thought I was going to be you know, a professional athlete. And uh, yeah, I didn't make it, call it. So I went in the service out of high school. And, you know, I, if you would have told me I was going to become the CEO of a medical service company or a commercial. I was going to run a billion dollar commercial laundry company wow. in North America or the, the the country's largest specialty refrigeration service company. I, I would have just said, not a chance, you know, not, not yeah. a chance. I'm going to be a goalie. I'll be a pitcher. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be a sports sports dude, you know, not a business guy. So funny how life works. And, you know, I, I was a really, really good engineer. Um, and, and, it was a little scary, I think, in, early in my career, too, to put away my engineering background and and take on, call it the Harvard MBAs of the world, yeah. in, the, in the Fortune 500 world and cross over into management and, and business. Um, you know, but uh, but I did. You know, I, I was hitting the glass ceiling as an engineer in my early 20s. I'll never forget at the time I was living in California and I bought a house. I'm 21 years old. I look like I'm wow. 12. I look like I'm 12. I'm cutting the grass. My neighbor's like, uh, you know, hello, is your dad home? And I'm like, yeah, no, you know, my dad lives <laughs> again. Well, well, who owns the house? Oh, I do. Like, wow. Really? Yeah. So it was it was a fun time. But, you know, I thought I'd be an athlete and, you know, never even in the military. You know, I was an electronics guy. I was working on classified air defense, radar and missile systems. And that led me into engineering in, at, at GE. And I'm, I'm working on, on CAT scanners and MRIs and designing designing and, and putting them in trailers, freight trailers, doing all kinds of stuff. But I never thought I'd be a CEO. Never, never thought I, I would. Uh, yeah, I thought I'd live a normal life, call it. And you know, I've been blessed and, and I, I was fortunate to work my way up. I've held every job a person can hold on an org chart in a company. Wow. From, from truck driver to CEO. Jeez. No, that's that's great to hear. And we and because we have our topic, which is a segment where we're going to dive deep into this, uh, this type of question. So is there one thing you wish you knew before you started your career? 
Oh, uh, before you become a CEO. You know, I, I wish. Yeah, there's a lot of lessons I learned along the way. You know, I, I've written some books, and, and I, I kind of put my career CEO cliff notes in my books, and I teach seminars today. And I, 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 I wish I'd have had me when I was in my 20s to teach me uh, some lessons in life. Yeah. Let me give you one lesson. Let me give you one lesson first on this. You know, I think the world is waking up to this fact today, but in in my early years, I, I learned that if you're going to be uh, an executive in a service company, you can't store service in a product. Your product is people. Culture matters. How you treat people matters. And as a guy who held every job going up through through the the, the ranks, you know, organizationally, yeah. I'm a person who's known for building really strong cultures. So as a CEO, I don't manage revenue. I start with strong culture. If I take care of people, people get engaged. When they're engaged, they work hard. When they work hard, they take care of customers. Customers give us more stuff and revenue just rains from the sky. There yeah. is, uh, there, there, so I, I, I'm known for building strong cultures. I'm known for taking care of people. I've learned the lesson that profit and culture are not mutually exclusive. You can have a great culture, you can take care of employees, you can be genuine and authentic about that, and you can make a lot of money for shareholders. Wow, well said. So let's 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 go with this question. Which of your accomplishments you the proudest? Well, that's a pretty good question. You know, there's there's a lot of boxes I, I I've checked. You know, I, I'm I'm proud of them all. You know, as a young soldier, I was soldier of the year for the United States Army in 1984. I, Ronald Reagan's president. This is a long time ago. Um, you know, I, wow. I, I was proud of that. You know, I, I was proud to get my pilot's license to become a pilot. I was proud, you know, to be uh, to, to be a CEO. I was proud to be a number one best-selling author. Um, the way I look at it is, it's not what am I most proud of behind me. It's what mountain am I going to climb in front of me? Because I'm going to tell you, my best <laughs> accomplishment hasn't been achieved yet. You know? Oh, I don't can, know can, what can, that can, is. But okay, okay. <laughs> talk to me in ten years, and and we'll, we'll we'll come back and revisit that question. I I, I would hate to think that my best in life is behind me. You know, pr proud of a lot of things. Proud of being a dad. Proud of being a... Yeah, uh, a, a definitely. Husband, you know, and, and things like that, too. So I'm going to say the best is yet to come. So let, let's go in, in another direction where we're talking about some challenges. And you can take it from anywhere, all the job you had. Can you share three challenging events in your life? And how did they challenge you? You know, I, I've had... So I was a CEO when planes flew into buildings. Uh, I, I was a CEO during the Great Recession. Wow. I, I was a CEO during the pandemic. And mm. so I, I would tell you, if I think about my professional life and I think about the curveballs that that life circumstances can throw at you when you're running a, a business, I, I think it's, you know, I, and I would even say that in today's world, it seems like these events are happening with greater frequency. I mean, in 2020, we had 
the pandemic. In 2021, we had supply chain issues and the pandemic didn't go away. It just kept kind of lingering around. And then in 2022, we've been dealing with with inflation. And during all of that, we've had all kinds of just racial strife and and problems, call it it the bedrock of our, our country. And I think all of these challenges, when you're a CEO with thousands of employees, these are our real challenges. And so what I I learned, I think, through all of these different lessons was, you know, first of all, uh, how not to react with any kind of, uh, um, you know, you know, emotions. Emotions. OK. Yeah, yeah. Check emotions aside. You know, uh, the, the people looking up are, are, are looking up and they've got many different backgrounds, many different walks of life. And they're they're representative of society at large. And as a CEO, I'm responsible for all of them. And uh, and so how I react to world events or things that are going on is going to be seen. It's going to be felt. So I want to learn how to listen and to kind of absorb what's going on and kind of be that voice of calm and reason and not the voice of polarization or, or, or action. So, you know, I, I, I would say that you learn how to I guess it's maturity, right? As you get yeah. older, you learn maturity and you learn how not to be so uh, reactive and uh, and aggressive and you, you 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 start to chill out a little bit more so on, on, on that note what is what's the best compliment you ever gotten so I, I think the best compliments we can ever get in life are the ones that we don't ask for mm. uh, you know, if, if I think about my business today and and you know, the, the fact that since I've started my business, I've never lost a client. I have a, a 98% retention rate. I have lost 2% of my clients. Okay. Um, and that's because they I helped them sell their businesses. They got wheelbarrows full of gold and they ran off into the sunset. And so <laughs> you know, I had to go find some new clients. But, it, you know, so I, I think the, the, the biggest compliment that, that a person can get are the ones that we don't seek, the ones that we don't ask for. Um, and, you know, so I, I, uh, I'm very mindful that, you know, I am blessed and, and it's, uh, it's incumbent on me to give back. And, but I do that quietly, you know, I, I don't do that visibly. So I don't want to be the philanthropist of the year or known for, you know, for, for doing things. I, I, I do it in quiet, you know, and I, I'm, uh, I try to be engaged. I try to give back to the, the communities in, in which I've, I've lived or prospered. And I, I think the comp- best compliments I get are seeing the results of, of call it my activities that I don't generally talk about. This is interesting because like you said, uh, most people, they're looking for that visibility. They're looking that validation from newspapers or their name out there. So why you want things like that to be uh, hidden? Why you're not? So I've had some of those accolades too. Um, in, uh, when I was living in California in Orange County, you know, I, I was was named to the top, you know, top 50 most influential people, you know, in in Orange County list. And, you know, year after year, I'm there with Kobe Bryant. I mean, you know, there's some big names uh, yeah. and big people there. And I, I'm on that list, you know, so I, I got those accolades. But, you know, I, I'm mindful that that to whom much is given, much is required. required. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, this is the divine podcast, so I, I don't mind talking about this. And. You know, I, I'm very mindful that uh, it's incumbent on me to give back. Mindful of another another passage from Scripture, just about. 
how hard it is for a rich man, you know, to, to yeah, every find, find their way to heaven. And, you know, and, and so I, I'm very mindful that it's, it's I've been blessed. Thank you. I give back. I do it in quiet because I don't care what people think around me. There's only one person I care about, you know, who, who sees my, my actions and uh, and that's God. And, I'll, uh, and that's great, too. And it takes you to share to share this because most people, they kind of reserve. And like I said, Divine Purpose is just a, a global uh, welcoming podcast where me, that's my faith personally. But when we have the guests, they are welcome to take us on any journey they want in terms of like sharing it. So let, let's go. You know, with uh, often people just along those lines. Uh, yeah. I've been asked multiple times on interviews, if you could sit down and have a conversation with anybody that ever lived, who would that person be? And I, I don't have to think twice. It would be, I, I'd love to sit down with Jesus. You know, <laughs> there is nobody on this planet who disputes that he lived. Doesn't matter whether you're yeah, yeah, yep. faith, Christian faith. Everyone acknowledges this person lived. Everyone acknowledges, you know, the, the argument that we've been talking around about for thousands of years. Yeah, is, yeah. Who was he? And, and so no other human being in the history of human beings has made yeah. a bigger impact on on the planet for thousands of years than Jesus. Yeah. So that's who I would 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 love to sit down and, I, and talk to. That, that's that's for uh, that's really uh, interesting because we had a guest and we, we we usually ask that question: if you if you had a chance to be with somebody, would that be? And she said, "I would like to ask Jesus some questions." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's go. You being a, a pilot, and what was this journey look like, and what kind of get you to that path? So I, I had an opportunity to fly an airplane for the first time when I was a teenager. My uh, um, my, my uncle owned a farm in Vermont, and uh, during World War II, he uh, he worked on on Tinian Island. He was uh, an engineer for Pratt Whitney. You know, if, if I remember the story correctly, I may may have the, the the companies wrong, but he worked on the Enola Gay on the engines to get the plane off the ground. Yeah. You know, and uh, after the war, he worked for the FAA, and he had a a, a 1937 Piper J3 Cub, and so I spent a, a, a some time in Vermont one summer, and he had a farm, and he had an airstrip, and he had his airplane, and he taught me. He flew it for work, and would go around to the different cities he had to go, and he taught me how to fly as uh, as like a 12 year old. So I, I had the bug early to mm. want to want to be a pilot, and. It, uh, I was not a pilot in the military. That picture up there is me flying a World War II P-51. Wow. And I, I've got a lot of logbook time and a lot of pretty exotic airplanes. And so I've been blessed to be able to, to kind of trace the footsteps of what a World War II fighter pilot went through. First, they learned how to fly the PT-17 Stearman biplane. So I learned how to fly that. Then they learned how to fly the AT-6 Texan. I learned how to fly that. And then they went on to fighters or bombers. And I've flown all of those too. So wow. for, for me, it was about experiences, but it was one of those things in life where I just, I wanted to do it. I was committed to doing it. And, and once I did it, you know, I went on to own three airplanes over the years. I don't own one right now. Um, when I moved from California to Texas, I sold my plane in, in California. And 
And I, I tell my wife, I threatened to buy another airplane at some point, but, you know, but it's kind of like <laughs> check the box. I love, yeah. you know, enjoyed it. It's a part of me. I'm, uh, you know, I, I give money regularly to, to some of the big pilot associations that I, I still belong to, but it was just one of those things in life. It was a calling. It's like, it's one of those boxes I need to check in my life. And uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I got to do it. Uh, and this is amazing so far, and I'm very excited. Like I said, we have Adam Coffey with us today. This is Eddie Dasis on Divine Purpose Podcast. Let's go with this question. We're talking about transferable skills, right? Things you learn from doing, like, let's go over the list again. Army veteran, engineer, pilot, right? And then CEO. Can you take some skills you transfer from one in another and kind of get you to be better at your job? Yes, absolutely. Let's start with the uh, let's start with sports because I, as a young person, yes. I, mean, I was very much into sports. Sports makes us competitive. Yeah, it, it, it teaches us to never quit. To it teaches us in a team sport, certainly, how to play with others, and you know, and and to really get focused on the prize, you know, and and so uh, practicing and applying yourself and and pushing yourself to achieve is something that athletics teaches. You know, that take that into the military and you know, the military taught me how to be a servant leader. So the military has been cranking out servant leaders for 250 years here. Uh, only, mm. it, it only about 10 years ago, we came up with a title in the business world for that. Um, and we called it servant leadership, but that's really what it was about. It was like, hey, follow me, take the hill, you know, and, you know, taking care of others and, you know, and, and becoming part of a collective, you know, a, a unit where you would yeah. risk your life to help another human being and you would put it on the line and, and they, they talk about, you know, uh, the brotherhood. And I don't mean that in a sexist, sexist way, just the, the brotherhood, the camaraderie between yeah. soldiers, people who have served together. There's nothing that approaches that. Probably professional sports and athletes who've won a championship together yeah. or people who've been through adversity together. But the, the, the bond between people and soldiers and you learn how to to be a servant leader and care about other people. And 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 regardless of your faith or your background or your skin color, it's like in the yep. army, we're all green and yeah. you know what when if you're on a battlefield and you're injured you know i'm not looking up at that at that corpsman to find out or a medic to see well, what color are they what religion are they where'd they come from you know do yeah. i like them or not you know they're the helicopter pilot who's flying me out of a combat zone you're not thinking you know it's like you learn that we're all equal yep that we all add value so i mean those skills were great engineering with that meticulous planning hey you can't do step 52 until you've done step one through one, 51. And yeah. in today's world, especially, there's a whole generation of people who just, I, I think, struggle to want to work hard. And it's like, you know what? I, I grew up in the, hey, you know, you don't get to be a CEO by waking up one day and becoming a CEO. It's like, you got to yeah. put in the time. You got to learn. You got to climb the ladder. You've got to work hard. And there are no participation ribbons in life. You, you, you get knocked down, you get back up, you know? Yeah, you work hard, keep you, it, keep you, going. If you fail, you try again. You know, we always learn in life, our biggest successes 
and our biggest failures are all opportunities to learn. And those are the character building moments that help us succeed. So I, I would say I'm here today because that young boy was an athlete, because the young soldier learned how to care about others, because the engineer learned how to be a meticulous planner, because GE taught me how to run a business. It, it, it prepared me to become a CEO. Those experiences led me to, to you know, my, my becoming an author and wanting to give back and writing my, my books. And so all of this experience that we pick up in life, it builds upon, you know, all of, all, all of these experiences are, 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 are added up and they create the collective person that we ultimately become. Oh, terrific, terrific. So we, we're close to uh, our break. And, and one, one thing I would say is this is like listening to what you're saying is very, uh, I relate to it because at the end of the day, anything you learn is an opportunity, even you fail. But um, is there one thing you, if you had a chance to do like differently, you probably will do it differently. I don't know which title you had where you you realize that there was an, an opportunity yes you learn it but you, if you had a chance to redo it you will do it differently yeah you know if i look back at my entire life and uh, you know I, I said you know I've, I've had a lot of accomplishments um but i had one failure too you know my, my, my i think my biggest failure in life was the failure of my first marriage and oh. and, and and learning you know call it as you're climbing the corporate ladder, you know, and, you know, I, I tell my elder kids from my first marriage, it's like, I, I was a crappy dad, you know, I, as a young person, I was driven to succeed. I was chasing title and money and, you know, I'm climbing the corporate ladder. And, you know, I learned the very important lesson somewhere along the way that family is the most important thing and that there has to be a work-life balance. And so you, you, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a dad again. I have a 10 year old and, uh, and so I'm doing it for a call it the second time around. And I have a great relationship with my, my elder kids, but I, I I'd say, you know, that was one lesson. I, I think my parents goes back to my parents. They were depression era minded folks. Um, they grew up during the great depression, during world war two, during the Korean war. I mean, talk about just turmoil on the planet. Everything was yeah. rationed like their whole childhood. And so for my dad, it was always about, Hey, it's time it's money it's not it's not dead it's not big hat no cattle it's 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 you know it's you know this is how I keep score and he had so many kids if one lost you know it was like okay I got I got five more I got nine more yeah. like, you know, yeah. so I mean family was important to him um, it, you know certainly was absolutely but somewhere I missed that lesson and it's like I was chasing title chasing money and and I, I learned I learned the painful lesson along the way that, hey, family's more important than job. Family's more important than money. Has to be balanced. And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to be authentic, you know, not just at work, but also at home. Oh, yes, definitely. Wonderful. Um, we're going by, uh, we're going on our break now. This is Eddie Dacius with um, Divine Purpose and our special guest, the CEO, um, Adam Coffey. What comes before making a smart decision? Choices. A smart choice is the best option, which is who we are. That's why our clients expect more from us and in return, get more in everything we do. We understand the problem. That's why we thrive for excellence. We don't just create a winning culture. 
We aspire to be a smart choice, a voice for solutions. We believe in integrity, professionalism, and teamwork. Our passion is to bring results from our clients by working harder, smarter, and faster. As a team, we always deliver because we recognize your needs. Choosing smart influences us to be the best version of ourselves. That makes us different than other companies. It makes us confident in achieving our goals. It makes us who we are. And it makes us DFM, the smart choice. Uh, yes, uh, we're back with um, Divine Purpose Podcast. We have Adam Coffey today, and he, he started to tell us something because we we, you, we usually go to Hot Topic. This is where it's a fun segment where we definitely go deep in, into our conversation. But um, before we get to Hot Topic, let me ask you one more question. So you mentioned that... Um, family is the most important and and I agree with you but in terms of what kept you going as a as a young CEO because at the end of the day we have challenges but what what was your motivator to kind of keep going and help your business get to the best um, opportunities you know I think for me Success in business and building, call it a billion dollar business, you know, I mean, that, that was kind of the, the drive, right? So young athletes, you want to win a championship. Well, in yeah. business, what's the championship? It's grow bigger. It's get bigger. And and then building these cool company cultures. I mean, the, the companies that I ran weren't very sexy, right? So I ran a, a giant commercial laundry company. Well, there's nobody on the planet that even enjoys doing laundry at all. So how can you be passionate about laundry? And I, I would tell people, I'm not passionate about laundry. I'm passionate about the journey. I'm passionate about building the business, about building a strong culture that gives back to employees and yeah. see them grow and succeed in their own careers. All of that was special to me. And I think that's what kept driving me. There wasn't there wasn't an end state I was necessarily looking for. It was how can I maximize the potential of this business? How can I grow, grow, grow? How can I get bigger? How can I I build a great culture that's sustaining? And you know, we've done some. I've done some pretty cool things in in, in my career. You know, during COVID, when COVID first hit, um, my my private equity sponsor was uh, Aries Management. They were okay. a great steward to employees in all their companies. We started a foundation. And the wow. purpose of the foundation was to give back to employees who were impacted negatively by COVID. So okay. the death of a loved one, they got sick. You know, we 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 were taking care of people that then got a chance to expand to people who suffered from a natural disaster. And then it went on to just someone who had a death in the family or an emergency or some some kind of thing. And so you know, we were always trying to find creative ways to build a great culture as the company was growing, find ways to give back to people who were working hard. And, uh, you know, and, and so that's what drove me. It was kind of the journey itself, no destination in mind, constantly trying to reinvent, you know, reinvent who, who I was and who the company was. Um, we we had a CEO from Flipper um, uh, early this year. But um, let me ask you this question as a CEO. What was the process? What what's the interview process for a CEO? To, to me to be hired as a CEO? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's funny. Um, I I remember when uh, I was faced with my first 
my first chance to become a CEO. So I, I, I'm at General Electric. I'm an up and coming executive. I'm doing well. And, and someone, you know, recruiter phone rings, you know, yeah, you know, hello. No, I'm not looking. You know, eventually they get me on. And I start talking to people about about the job and you know, I'm going to my own GE mentorship team. And I, I'm asking them, you know, what do you think? And it's like, do I stay at GE where I'm one of 400,000 people? I'm one of a thousand of this or, or a thousand of that. And, and, you know, do I stay or do I go? And the best advice I ever got from somebody was, hey, Adam, once a president, always a president, take the job. GE will never see you as president until you go be one someplace else. And that's wow. really kind of how it works because, you know, at that time, Jack was retiring. <laughs> Bunch of GE leaders were leaving to go run other companies, and you know, then my phone's ringing off the hook. It's like, hey, I'm starting a service division at this company. Why don't you come run it? And that's like the opportunity started crescendoing after that. But in terms of the actual interviewing process, I think every time I've been interviewing as a as a CEO, you know, people wanted to understand it wasn't just about what's your education, what's your background, or what have you accomplished. It's like, how are you going to immerse into this company? What is the first first 90 days look like how do you think about growth culture and and balancing all of these different things and you know i i would come with a plan it's like I, it's not just a, an interview with a, here's my resume and i did this and i did that it's like hey listen this is how i immerse in a company let me give you some examples you know here's how i think about metrics and kpis and bending the growth curve. I was a guy who was a turnaround specialist. They'd always get broken business units and I'd fix them. I'm like, this is how I attack. This is what I do. Here are examples, you know, of me being a turnaround guy in other businesses, other business units, you know, and, and then of course, once you've been a CEO, then it's like, well, here's what I did at that company. And here's what I did, you know, at that company. And, you know, here's what I'll do for you. And so there's, there's no right or wrong, but I think in today's world, if you if you're blessed to be in that interview, it's not about you and your accomplishments. It's about you and your accomplishments got you the interview. Yeah. Right. That got you in the room. You want to go home, you know, and, and land the job. Now it's like, how are you going to help me? You know, I'm the the board. I'm the 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 the. the the chairman, chairman I, yeah, I've got an issue. I've got a problem. I'm hiring. We're hiring a, a new president, a new CEO. It's like, like, what are you going to do? It's like you got in the room because of all that. Don't care about all that. How are you going to attack this? What's the plan from here forward? You better have that plan. And I had that plan. And I always had that plan. If I went on camera for like 20 seconds, I could come back here with like two or the original strategic plans from the three companies that I ran. It's like, this is how I do it. This is the, these are the systems I bring to bear. And it's like, you better be able to articulate (laughs) how that company is going to find its success. Because if all you got is regurgitating what got you in the room, you're not getting that job. You're not getting it. Wow. So I think that's a great uh, intensive to kind of get to hot topic because I feel like you you on fire to to speak more about this subject, right? Yeah, I'm always ready. Uh, no, de- definitely. Let's go with hot topic now.
So Hot Topic is a segment where we talk about questions or ask you questions related to your career. So you said uh, being a CEO, yes, your accolade, your experience, we're definitely going to get you the call, right? But where you, when you are in the room, it's all about closing the deal. So what was your process to prepare for that interview? So for, for, for me, it was to let's start by doing some research, you know, so it's not like I'm going into an interview and I don't know who the company is. I don't know what the leadership team is. I've done my research. I've asked questions, you know, along the way, because there's probably been, there'll be multiple interviews. You don't go to one interview and you're hired as a CEO. There's going to be multiple, you know, someone's going to screen, you know, can the guy, you know, is he, does he, can he stand up? You know, can he talk? You know, is he for real? You know, and so you're getting through all these screening interviews and, I'm not just telling them what they need to know. I'm also learning from them. I'm doing the research. And so when I'm when I'm in that room as a CE, you know, oh, for that, call it that final interview, that last interview where it's a go, no go kind of decision. I've done my homework, you know, and I just like that athlete, you know, who goes to spring training and practices and is committed and you know, Seth Curry shooting 3,000, you know, three pointers in the backyard, you know, before he goes to the gym. It's like you've done the work, you have done the research, and I come with the plan. This is exactly what I'm going to do over the next 90 days. You know, this is how I'm going to immerse. This is the methodology that I use. These are the systems, the management systems that I use. This is an example from my previous company of how I came in, bent the curve. Here's an example of the kind of metrics I used. Here is, you know, and so it's it's all about you, you walk into the, the, to the interview and you own the room. You yeah. know what they need to do. You've already done all of that. And you've already now shown them that you are the CEO of this company. And it's like, how can you not hire me? You know, it's. So let's talk in great, great insight. Great tip, um, Adam. So let's, let's talk about self-made CEO. Because that's that's where I was going to because I know there's a lot of process even for a big opportunity being an executive you you get a lot of um, interviews so can you tell us anything about self made CEO yes I called myself a, a blue collar CEO okay because I held every job a person could hold in a company and I started as a private in the army at the lowest form of life and. I worked my way up an org chart and, yeah. and, and, and so I was, you know, I, I mean, I, I have the experience of being the guy in the truck or the first line supervisor or a manager or vice president. And so I had all those experiences to draw upon, you know, and I think those experiences grounded me to not be a head case, to not be full of myself, you know, or, arrogant or egotistical, you know, there, there's a fine line between arrogance and confidence. And I think as a CEO, you have to have confidence in your yeah. abilities. Um, you know, but the reality is, hey, I care about people. I, I really do. I've always cared about cared about people. It's like if I see and I can build an environment where people are successful, then I'm going to be I call myself a lazy workaholic. So let me explain that. For <laughs> you. But it's like if I do my job right, I hire great people, yeah. I articulate a vision I empower them, you know, to, to run and I, I hold them accountable. But if I hire a great team of people, there's nothing for me to do. Yeah. And so, 
It's learning how to not be the smartest guy in the room, learning how to hire, you know, the smartest guy in the room. And it's like, and not group think I need diversity of thought. I need diversity of experience. It's not just about race. It's about just life experiences that brought us together. And it's like, I, I don't want people that just say yes, sir. Yes, sir. And think like I do, I need those diverse opinions. And so the diversity gives us, you know, call it a strength. It's how you build a championship team, you know, in sports, you know, you get, you got a great point guard, you got a, you got a, a good center, you know, it's like, you've got the, the, the pieces to the team. And so it's about assembling that team of, of people, articulating the vision empowering them and getting out of the way, standing back and letting them run with the ball and, and executing, holding them accountable. So for me, I also call this, it's interesting in life, you know, I, I use orchestras as the example in an orchestra, there are sections. Yes. Each section, there are literally chairs. And if you're the best player in a section, you're the first chair player in an orchestra. When you're an entrepreneur and you're building a business, you're anal retentive control freak. And that's what makes you successful getting out of the gates. You're, okay. you're the first chair player in every section of the orchestra. But if you want to build a billion dollar business at some point, you hit a glass ceiling called bandwidth and you have to learn how to become a conductor. And you have mm. to turn your back to the audience and you have to rely on the first chair players to keep their sections in, in, in order. And you have to direct, but they do, they perform. And you have to learn how to go from being, call it the control freak to being a conductor. And those people who can successfully do that and can conduct the orchestra rather than having to play every instrument in it. Those are the people who can then do something really special. Some statistics, there's 33 million small businesses in America and the small business administration defines a small business as 500 employees or less. Yes, yeah. They are 99.9% .9 of all companies in America and they employ half the workforce in the country. So there's only 3000 companies on the planet that have a billion dollars in revenue. But just in our country, there's 33 million small businesses. That's a tough mountain to climb. To climb yeah. And I was wanting to climb that mountain in every company that I, I, I built. And you can't do that by being the, the head case, the control freak. You got to learn how to be a conductor of an orchestra. And to do that, you also need to learn how to inspire people. People, I, yeah. I think in my lifetime, if I think of U.S. presidents, it's a very volatile time in our country's history. But I'm going to give you two examples, one Republican, one Democrat, because then I'm safe, right? So <laughs> two presidents in my lifetime who could inspire truly inspire a nation one was ronald reagan from a republican perspective one was barack obama from a democratic perspective you look at those two men you listen to speeches that they gave and how they could just inspire people i mean what did barack obama sell us he sold us hope yeah what the hell is hope you can't put hope in a box Ah, I run service companies. You can't store service in a box either. Take a page out of Barack Obama's playbook. What do I sell? I inspire. I sell hope. I sell what we can accomplish together. It's not about laundry. It's not about HVAC. It's about 
building a great culture, building a company that takes care of people, that gives back to society, that takes care of one another. And we can build this great place to call home. We all have to work somewhere. Let's work somewhere cool. So there's a, a lot of people, I think, in, in my life who've inspired me and taught me. And, and I, I tried to listen and emulate what I what I heard and pick up some of those skills along the way. I'd also tell you again, since it's the Divine Podcast, one person early in my career said, Adam, if you want to learn how to be an effective speaker, go to church. Go go to Alabama at the time. You know, summertime in Alabama, it's 105 degrees. Go see a Southern Baptist minister preaching the gospel for three hours in 100 degree heat, waving this 50 pound sword, you know, as he's walking around on stage. And wow. Like, listen and learn how to command an audience. Go to church and you know, it's like so. Public speaking is always very important from a, a CEO perspective, and I, I think people the, the the one skill you really need to have. You don't have to be the smartest person on the planet to be a successful CEO. You do need to know how to communicate and inspire. And if inspire. You, can, you can communicate and inspire, you know, the culture will attract talent. You'll get good people coming in the door. You empower them. You inspire them. You get out of the way. You hold them accountable. And that's, I think, the formula for success. Um, I will, I will kind of challenge you a little bit, and this is great insight. Like I said, um, we have Adam Coffey, CEO, guru, adversary guru, right? The best in, in the business. I, I name you now. You, you're the best in the business, right? <laughs> so what I'm, say, no, what I'm saying is, um, how do you inspire people? Let, let's let's kind of go a little bit deeper on it because it's kind of a broad idea, but can you go deeper or give us some example? How do you inspire people? So I, I think about people, their own lives and their own journeys, you know, and if I, if I use two people as an example and say, you know, I, I'm running a company and I've got a lot of people in trucks who are driving around and they're doing service whatever kind of service it is. In my case, it may have been a, an HVAC service tech or it may have been a commercial laundry service tech or it might have been a medical service tech working at hospitals and fixing CAT scanners. But these are people who have their own lives, their own journeys. And, and for me, it's like my goal when I start a company or I'm building a company is I want to create a place where employees can spend their entire career in one place. That's right here. To do that, I have to do four things. I have to pay a fair wage or I'm going to lose talent. And in today's world, it's hard to get talent. And, it, and if we have it, we don't want to lose it. So we have to yeah. pay talent fairly. We have to have great benefits because we all get old and fall apart. I look out the eyes of a 20-year-old. There's a 58-year-old Gomer looking back at me. I hurt in places I didn't know existed 20 years ago. You know, And so we have to take care of people from a healthcare perspective. And as a CEO, I always made the same choices that the guy in the truck made you know, or the lady you know, made. And it's like whatever their choices are, those are what my choices are. My family wants good health care. By God, they got to have good health care. I had to have a good retirement plan because somewhere uh, down the road, as people get older, they, they, they need to have some semblance that they could slow down one day, retire, and they'd have enough money there to support them. Not just Social Security, but, but something from the company that they've worked their whole life to save. But even if I did those three things, the one thing that's still missing that would still cause me to lose people is... I had to create a path. I had to give them a career path. I had to create opportunity. In a growing company that's profitable, 
is investing and it's creating jobs and it's creating opportunity. And so those two people, the one person that's in the truck who's who says, I want to stay in the truck and I'm going to be in this truck for 30 years. God bless them. They become the journeymen that teach the next generation how to do this job. They wanted to have a voice. They wanted to be heard. They wanted to be talked to. They wanted to be cared about, but they had no ambition to be a CEO. CEO. They wanted to stay right there. Great. I gave them that path. They had the opportunity. They chose not to take it or pursue it, but I gave it to them. And then that other employee says, geez, I'm in the truck, but you know, I, I don't like working and being on call on weekends and holidays. I want to be home. I want to watch my kids grow up. You know, I, I, I want to, I, I want to become a manager someday. I need to come. I want to become a vice president someday. I want to become a CEO. And this is the country where you can do that. And I know this because I was that guy in the truck, you know, who decided I want to be a service manager. I want to be a vice president. I want to be a, you know, a, a division president or a COO. And I want to be a CEO someday. It's like, I got that opportunity by climbing the ladder in companies that gave me that opportunity and investing in people, giving them the education they need. So oftentimes when a person becomes a manager for the first time, they usually were very good at whatever job it was they did that got them the job, but no one taught them how to manage people. And so I would always require that, that people who became managers in my companies the first time they have to go do a, a leadership course. They got to learn how to manage people, you know. And and so I was always about if I can build an environment that truly takes care of people and gives them the chance to run, I would be successful. And so how I inspired people was by articulating the vision of look, we're going to build a billion dollar business. This is going to be special, and I'm going to create opportunities for you for advancement. And I'm going to give you opportunities, you know, to, to, to go in whatever path you want to take. And I'm going to be there to help you succeed. And it's limited only by your own goals and objectives, your own desires. And so creating that environment, I would always make early investments in people that were visible. So people could see, ah, he's talking the game and I see it. I see the investments being made. Wow. This this is different. This is not just someone telling me what I want to hear. He's telling me what I want to hear and he's backing it up with actions. And then what do I get? I get engaged employees and engaged employees work hard and I grow and and I get the growth that results from that because of those engaged employees that I took care of. So that's the math. I mean, that's, and in today's world, look, Hey, I was kind of a savant back in that you know time period when I first became a CEO, cause it wasn't always done that. Uh, that, that uh, that's why I call you the best. It you know, wasn't the highway or the highway in today's world. Hey, this workforce, you know, is, is tough. You know, if, if, they, yeah. if they don't see you're authentic in caring about them, you're done. Mm, yeah. It's hard enough to get employees to come in the door and work. But if you come in the door and you have a toxic culture, they don't stay very long. And I want to build a company where they bring their friends and they bring their family members. And in all the businesses that I ran, I had examples of multi-generational families working side by side. Dad with son with grandson, you know, three generations working side by side. And when you get to that point, you've arrived. You succeeded. Ooh, that was a lot, Adam. Really like it. And and I think this is great for our audience. They will definitely learn more. So we we going uh we're getting 
at the end of this uh, great interview with Adam Coffey, is the C CEO, Adversary Guru LLC. I know you want to talk about your business. Um, it's your time now. Hey, listen, I, uh, I have three primary types of customers, but the ones I love working with the most are small business owners. So I've built really big businesses. And in life, consultants are either people who teach you the theory of how to do something or they teach you from practical experience. I'm a guy who's built billion dollar businesses. I've spent a career as a CEO helping others. And I love working with entrepreneurs and smaller businesses and kind of putting my arm proverbially around them and help guiding them to avoid all of those mistakes and potholes that I managed to hit, you know, across my 35 year career in management, 21 year career as a CEO. And so I, I'm really loving, I work with more than 60 companies today and I love working with entrepreneurs who are building businesses, they're building empires. And I get to get to help shape them to thinking about employees and culture the way that I think about it and then help them execute on their own strategies and, and take them to the place that they want to go. That's a lot of fun. So if you're looking for something Somebody to be a coach, to be a mentor, a CEO whisperer. Um, that's what I do now. And uh, I'm having a lot of fun. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, Adam Coffee, C-O-F-F-E-Y is my name or adamecoffee.com. That's where you'll find me. All right. Well said. So is there a question you wish I asked you today? No, I think this was a pretty well-rounded interview. A lot of interviews, you know, if I, if I listen to, I've probably been on a hundred plus podcasts. When you listen to them, there's a lot of commonality. This one went in a lot of different directions, covered material and, and, and things that I, we've never, I've never talked about before. And so I, I think you did an excellent job. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Because uh, we like to hear this. That's um, our motivation. Um, last word for you, Adam. Hey, thanks for listening. If you're still here, 57 minutes, 13 seconds in, God bless you. Uh, I, uh, I appreciate you uh, tuning in and listening. Thank you for having me. All right. This is Eddie Dacius with Divine Purpose Podcast. We have Adam Coffey. He's the CEO, uh, adversary um, guru, LLC. Call him if you want to know how to get your business up to the ground and uh, accomplish great things. So like I said, this is Eddie Dacius with Divine Purpose Podcast. This episode is available on all major platforms. If you want to listen to this episode, you can go Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you listen to your podcast, definitely you're going to have Divine Purpose Podcast. Adams, thank you. We really appreciate the time. Thank you. Take care now.